Hey everyone, welcome to the Promise Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Promise Church. And to see what else is going on around here at Promise, please visit us at mypromisechurch.com. We hope this message you're about to listen to ministers to you and changes your life. Enjoy. Praising the Lord today because we got to be in God's house an hour early than usual. So that's a good day. We got to go to the house of the Lord an hour early. Uh, how many? How many woke up and said, "I was glad that the time changed." Come on, don't be. I was glad when they said, "Let's go to the house." Though I'm glad about that. How many said, "Amen"? Glad to be with you today. I want to say thank you to this worship team. Let's give them a great big hand. I love that new song. Thank you to them. Um, So many good things happening around the church. Um, We've used this message series, Heart for the House, um, to kind of get the ball rolling on um, our our spring, our our New Year's uh, ministries and all these things. Last week we had a life group kickoff. If for some reason, you weren't here, or uh, I know spring break, my kids are, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, you weren't here last week. We'd love for you to still jump in. Um, I believe the Dream Team, and uh, certainly it's, it's out in the lobby, our life group directory. It's a nice little booklet. You can grab it, and you'll see 26, 22, I want to get it right, 22 um, different life groups. Um, that you can be a part of. You say, well, what's a life group? Isn't that just where you hang out? Nah, I'm busy. I just want to tell you, there's pretty much three categories for our life groups at this point. One of them are just, one is just discipleship. There's there's men's groups that just study in the word. Uh, There's ladies groups that are studying the word. There's, for all ages in everybody, studying the word. Um, There's groups that get together for prayer. There's groups that um, also uh, let's say the second category that activate into ministry, whether it's outreach. We have one that does outreach. We have two that are ministering in the service. There's a, what we call spiritual movement. It's kind of an uh, interpretive sign kind of worship. And then uh, we have a choir life group. So it's going to be ministering in church. If you want to minister in God's house, I always tell people, I don't think there's a better way to serve God than to serve God's people. And I don't think there's a better place to serve God's people than in God's house is where we come together. So uh, that's a great way to serve God. Um, and then the third one is just fun, having fun. And there's nothing wrong with breaking bread. You know, the Lord wants you to have joy, wants you to have fun. And so uh, there's no better way to just uh, bre- have fun with God's people than just break bread. In fact, that is, is, is strengthening. It's encouraging. How many know some relationships you have, you leave drained? Nobody wanted to say amen, but we all know it's true. Other relationships, you leave full. And, and I believe that, that in life groups here, you can join some of these that are just breaking bread and having a good time. We have men's group. Or that's not a men's group. I just play, goes and plays basketball. Men, ladies, young, old, whatever it is. Um, we've got some that just go and have fun, go eat and that kind of stuff. So we'd love for you to get in one. If for some reason last week either you didn't officially join or you weren't here or whatever, um, you can sign up today. There's a QR code there that'll do it all digitally. You can just boom, boom, boom. Also, the Church Center app is probably the easiest. So there's my plug for that. And, and then just quickly, I want to tell you, today we're going to start Next Steps. 
There's two steps that we have, or two, two Sundays in a row. And um, if you don't know what Next Steps is, it's our way, really, of, of serving you or, or shepherding your family. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd, and, and he, he says that he leads us into water when we need a drink. He leads us into green pastures when we need to lay down. And so as the ministry of this church, we kind of want to help you find your next step. We believe everybody has a next step in their walk with the Lord. And so we want to help you identify that next step. Um, and I believe there's no better place to find that next step than with God's people in God's house. And so when you, we're going to give you, um, it's really, it, it'd be a blessing to you if you've never done it. We're going to give you a spiritual, um, we're going to give you a personality quiz. So you're going to get to know your personality type. You're going to get to know more about yourself. You're going to get a spiritual gifting quiz. You're going to take a quiz that's going to see what kind of giftings God has put in your life. And then we're going to do a passion assessment as well. And once you get all that data, we're going to show you somebody in the Bible that has the same personality as you, the same giftings as you. And we're going to show you how God used their life. And maybe that gives you some insight to how God can use me. And um, so we'd love to help, help you with that. You're going to learn more about the church, where we've been, where we're going, how you can be a part. And um, we've got child care and food provided, and it's for 90 minutes or less after, ser after the second service today and next week. If you'd like to be a part of that, same thing. You can find it on the Church Center app or uh, sign up on the events page on the website. How many said amen? All right, I'm done with all the commercials. I got to jump in. Psalm 69 and 9. We might be able to quote this by now because we're into it maybe the third time. But David said, the zeal for your house consumes me. And if anybody talks bad about you in the church, it falls on me too, is what he's saying. He says, the insults of those who insult you, it falls on me. I, he says, I love God and I love his house so much. I love his people so much that if somebody would talk bad about God and his house and his people, I take that personally. Then um, this psalm was quoted in John chapter 2 in the temple when Jesus found them selling sacrifices in the temple. You know, might know that scene where Jesus is turning over the money changers and he's running the people out of the temple. He's very angry. And it says here in John chapter 2, verse 16, to those who were selling doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples, do I, do I have that up there, Carlin? John 2, 16 and 17. Carlin's is my main man. Sometimes I, uh, sometimes I get in a hurry and I mess him up, but he's, he's the best back there. Let's give our, our uh, multimedia AV productions, because they just hiding back there in the booth sometimes. You don't ever see them. Uh, Carlin's my main man. Here he is. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered. So they, they see Jesus all upset, and they're thinking, this is strange. You've never seen this side of Jesus. He's turning over tables and chasing people with whips. And then the disciples said, oh, no, 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 no. It's a zeal that he has for God's house. It's a zeal. And so I want that zeal in all of us. We got to be in church an hour earlier together. Turn to somebody, make sure they're okay. Say, are you awake? Do you need more coffee? A Red Bull, a Celsius, a soda, a slap in the face, cold water. <laughs> if you're falling asleep, wake me up. <laughs> Something like that. This passage shows that Jesus really did have a zeal for his house. It was a side of Jesus that we didn't see very often, or at least that we don't talk about too often, but it was a righteous anger. It was a righteous anger to protect 
God's house. It was a righteous anger to protect the integrity of God's house and what it was supposed to be. In reality, what they were doing was they were kind of farming out their worship. They were having someone else raise the lamb, somebody else raise the dove. And then they were just showing up to church and plunking down 20 bucks and buying a dove. They were plunking down $100 or whatever it was and buying a lamb. It'd almost be like me going to the worship team and saying, Annette, can you sing for me today? Because I don't feel like it. Here's 20 bucks, and hopefully the Lord will receive that worship. Or me going to Tess and saying, Tess, would you just really sing and pray for me today? Because I don't feel like it. Here's 20 bucks. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not how it's supposed to be. Not supposed to have somebody else raise the lamb for you and you walk in, pay 50 bucks for the lamb, walk it to the altar, and then leave. It's not supposed to be transactional like that. It's supposed to be from your heart. And so that's why Jesus got so mad and he said, No, 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 no. I've got to step in and protect the house of God because I love the house of God and there's a zeal for the house of God. What's supposed to be? And David had that heart. And that's why they said, that's why they said they quoted David and said, I remember David said that the zeal consumed him. And that's what's happening to Jesus right now. But David was a man that had a heart after God and after God's house. I love Psalm 84. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. The house where you, the place you dwell. Where, where do you dwell? You dwell at your house. He's saying, how lovely is the dwelling place, the place that God lives. How beautiful is that? I love that place. I love going there. It's a beautiful place. Verse number two, he says, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Now, you have to understand kind of the tabernacle plan or the layout of the temple or in David's time, the layout of the tabernacle. This was the court. This was where you entered. David was, even though he was king, he was not the high priest. To Tess's point earlier, he did not have access behind the veil into the Holy of Holies or to the table of showbread or to the, all these instruments of ministry. He was in the court. He was in the lobby, if you will. And David was saying, you know what? I, I just get excited about just being in the lobby of the house of God. Even if I can't go to the altar, even if I'm on the back row or in the lobby, like I, I just, I'm, my soul just wants to be in the lobby of the house of God. <laughs> my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Skipping down to verse 10, but the same chapter, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would just rather be somebody that holds the door. Where's my dream team at? I saw Nancy and Joanna holding the door. He's saying, I'd rather just open the door for God's people as they come into the house of my God than be anywhere else in the world. Just let me hold the door open. Just let me be in the parking lot saying, go right here. Just let me be in the kids' ministry. Just let me be in the booth back there. I'd rather be doing any of those kind of things than be in the world. There's a question that we're asked in this psalm. How valuable is one day in God's house? David, in that 84th psalm, he answers that question by saying, one day in God's house is more valuable than anywhere else. He's saying, I'd just rather serve in God's house than be hanging out in the palaces of the world. David said, every time they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord, I was glad to hear that. 
David is saying, simply put, your worst day living for God is better than living for your is better than your best day living for the world. Let me say that one more time. Your worst day living for God is better than your best day in the world. So how valuable is one day in God's house? The answer is one day in God's house is better than three years anywhere else. Three years. That's what David is saying. So I'm going to say something shocking, but it's in the word. (laughs) One day in God's house is better than three years on a cruise ship. You know you'd get bored after a couple weeks anyways. I mean, seriously, how long can you sit by the pool? (laughs) That buffet would get a little old after a while. Like, okay, Salisbury steak again. One day in God's house is better than three years anywhere else. Anywhere else you can imagine. Because God's house is his dwelling place. And where the Lord is, there is liberty, there is joy, there is peace, there is healing, there is salvation. And that is not everywhere. So I want to tell you a couple things today. The first one I want you to know, and, and I'm just using this title, God's house is my home. God's house is my home. Turn to somebody and say, God's house is my home. I want to tell everybody in this place today, you are invited to God's house. Have you ever been somewhere you didn't feel welcome? Have you ever been somewhere you didn't feel invited? I, I, I've gone to places before, you ever gone to places before and, and you couldn't find a seat, kind of doing that awkward shuffle and circle like, uh-oh, I can't find a seat, this is awkward. I, I, uh, I've been places before where you, know, you couldn't find a seat and you feel out of place, you feel awkward, maybe you're standing in the back of the room or something, but I'll tell you, have you ever gone to a nice dinner and you're walking through and somebody says, we have a spot for you. And you walk to there and, and, and you have, this is, the, this is the Lloyd family. And it's a little place, little table card, Ryan, Christina, we've got a place for you right here. That's a whole lot better feeling, isn't it? Somebody, they not only invited you, they not only welcomed you, they had a spot prepared for you. Now, I'm going to tell you, in God's house, you're invited, you're welcome, and he's prepared a place for you. You are welcome in God's house. I'll just say, we'll put your name on the bottom of that chair. You, and we got to go to three, sir, what, I don't know. But there's a place for you in God's house. And, and there's this dinner party in Luke chapter 7 where, uh, verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus. Now, he didn't invite Everybody, but he invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Went to the Pharisee's house, and they are reclining at the table. Notice Jesus was invited by Simon, if you read the chapter. Uh, he was invited to Simon's house, rather, to Simon the Pharisee's house. And the Pharisees would have these gatherings, and they would have these fancy dinners, and they would uh, talk about the Word and, and talk about deep theology. And it was, it was, um, it was an honor to be invited to this thing, and they, they wanted to bring Jesus in, and they wanted to, to kind of get his, his uh, they wanted to interview him. They wanted to get his opinion on some things. And so he's invited, they're reclining at the table, they're having this fancy dinner. The very next verse tells us that a woman in that town who lives a sinful life, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar 
of perfume. This woman, Jesus was invited, but this woman was not invited. She was living what this, in English, the New International Version says, a sinful life. But any Bible commentary that has gone back to the original language will tell you that that description of this woman was reserved for a woman who made her living with immorality. This woman, she's crashing the Pharisees' fancy party. And when she came in, everybody would have stopped what they were doing. They would have dropped their fork on the floor. There would have been an audible gasp. What is she doing here? She's not invited. People knew who she was. They would have been whispering, saying, why is she here? What's going on? She's not allowed. Who let her in? Why is she here? Somebody say something. Somebody remove her from the party. She's not invited. She's not welcome here. You have to think about for her, life had not gone the way she intended. I don't think as a child she thought, I hope I grow up and have to live a sinful life to pay my bills. She knows her life isn't right. She knows she's lost her way. She feels the rejection not just in that moment, but in every day. And everywhere she went, people would gasp. People would uh, walk away, go the other way. Every store she went in, people would hide their children. She felt shame. She was not good enough. She had a guilty conscience. She was not welcome, never invited. And yet something in her said, if Jesus is in the house... And she says, if Jesus is in the house, I've got to make my way to Jesus. Let me bring the best worship I've got. Let me bring the most expensive perfume I've got. Verse 38 said, she stands behind him at his feet weeping. She begins to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. She's crying out to Jesus. She's worshiping him. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, not anybody else, it's internal dialogue here, or maybe under his breath, but he wasn't saying it to nobody else. He said, if this man was a prophet, he would know who this woman is. He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. Notice Simon just thought it. He didn't say it out loud. But verse 40, Jesus answered him. (laughs) Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus is like, I heard what you thought. That's another, that's another sermon, but he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed them 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me water to wash my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and washed them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. 
but this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as great love has been shown. But whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. I just feel like preaching this here. Simon was forgiven a lot too, but he had forgot how much he'd been forgiven. Don't ever let us forget how much we've been forgiven because when we forget how much we've been forgiven, we forget to worship. We fail to worship. He said, Simon, I've been here. You didn't wash my feet. She's washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair because she knows she'd been forgiven. Ah. If you know you've been forgiven a lot, you worship a lot. If you know you've been forgiven a lot, you praise a lot. If you know he brought you a mighty long way, you give him a mighty big praise. Somebody ought to give God a praise right there. Hallelujah. Don't let us forget. My sin might be different than hers, but I'm still a sinner saved by grace. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this that forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why did she go straight to Jesus, Tess? She didn't go to the Pharisees. She went straight to Jesus because she knew she was welcome at the feet of Jesus. She knows I'm not welcome in that house normally. But if Jesus is in the house... I'm welcome wherever Jesus is. If Jesus is in the house, you're welcome at the feet of Jesus. I might not be welcome in that house normally, but I'm welcome at his feet. There might not be room in that house normally, but there's room at the foot of the cross. There's room with Jesus. I'm welcome wherever Jesus is. How did she know that? What gave her that understanding? What gave her the boldness to walk into Simon's house, a place she knew she wasn't welcome? Well, we have to do a little bit of digging, but here's what we know. Earlier in that day, it's not in Luke's gospel, but it is in Matthew's. Same day that John's disciples questioned Jesus, both gospels, they carry the narrative of that day. But Matthew records the message that Jesus preached. Luke omitted the content of the sermon. So here's what we know as we bring both Gospels together. Earlier that day in the same town, Jesus gave a message. Now we, of course, do not know if she was in the audience. Maybe she was. Maybe someone relayed the message to her. No doubt the whole town would have been talking. Jesus is in the town. Well, what did he say? Here's what he said. But here's what we do know. We don't know if she was in the audience. We don't know if somebody related to her. We don't know. But here's what we do know is earlier that day in the same town, Jesus gave a message. And here's what he said in that message. He said in Matthew 11, 28, he said, come to me. You're invited. Who's invited? All. Y'all are already ahead of me. My goodness. 
on light, daylight savings time. Y'all are already ahead of me. Come to me. Who? All. All who are weary and burdened. If you're weary, you're invited. If you're tired, you're invited. If you're running on empty, you're invited. If you're burdened and carrying a heavy load, you're invited. If you got a heavy weight, a heavy sin, heavy shame, heavy guilt, heavy problems, somebody ought to help me preach. You are invited. Past hang-ups, past mistakes, you're invited. If you're carrying a chain of sin and addiction, you're invited. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. He's saying, take my harness upon and learn from me. Drop those chains and take my yoke. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This sinful woman took that message literally. She took it to heart. He said, come to him. (laughs) He didn't say that I couldn't go just because of Simon's house. He said, I'm welcome wherever he is. He said, come to me. So she walked boldly up into that house that she was not invited to and said, I might not be welcome in Simon's house, but I'm welcome at Jesus' feet. Somebody ought to say today, I'm welcome in the presence of the Lord. He did not come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. He said, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. He said, I'm the great physician, and I came for the sick. That's why the church is a hospital for the sick, not a museum of the saints. I might look cleaned up now, but I haven't forgotten. Parents, you ever, you ever spit-shined your kids a little bit? <laughs> My kids aren't here today, so I don't know if they catch this or not. I, I, I have a cowick sometimes, as you all sometimes probably know. I see it sometimes. I do pictures of the church or whatever. My, both of my boys got the same thing going on. A lot of times I'm <laughs> water fountain. I don't know. Just okay, post-COVID, I don't know. Water fountain. Wet their hair down. Buddy, you got sleep in your eye. Buddy, did you brush your teeth? Here's some gum. But I haven't forgot that my heavenly father cleaned me up. Never forget, church, there was a day when you were mixed up, messed up, had sleep in your eyes, your breath was bad, your hair was out of place, but your heavenly father picked you up, washed you up, cleaned you, redeemed you, and forgave you. That's why everybody is welcome at the feet of Jesus, and everybody's welcome in God's house. Somebody said amen to that. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. No, Jesus, he tells this parable of a great banquet in Luke 14, 23. He said, then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. He said that the servant went out and all kinds of folks had all kinds of excuses. They said, well, I just bought property. We're building a house on there. Or somebody said, we just bought oxen. We're trying to, to put yokes on them and, and, and get them trained up. And somebody else said, well, I just got married. It isn't the great time for me. But there was such a zeal 
that Jesus had for the Father's house to be full. It says in verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor. Bring in crippled folks, blind folks, lame folks. Bring in anybody. And this was a big deal in that time because if somebody was lame or blind or poor, the assumption was that they had some sin in their life to deserve that. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, if Bartimaeus has been blind since birth, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? Jesus said, nobody sinned. That's not the reason that this has happened. It's for God's glory. So master said, invite the blind, the poor, the down and out. Invite the sinner. I don't care who it is. Bring them into the house because everybody is invited. Coming back to verse 23, the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. In so that my house will be full because Jesus's heart is that the house would be full, that everybody would be welcome. And if I invited them and they said, well, I just got married. It's not great. Okay. Who else wants to come? If I invite them, they say, well, we got a house flip. We're doing this kind of stuff. Okay. Who else wants to come? Well, we just bought oxen and property. Okay. Who else wants to come? There was, he wanted no seat at the table empty because in God's house, the table is set, the food is ready, the banquet is prepared. He's saying there's blessing at this table, there's forgiveness at this table, there's love, joy, and peace, provision, healing, salvation. The table is set. I don't want it to go stale. Everybody's welcome. Come to the Father's house. Come and dine at the Father's house. The table is ready. That's the kind of spirit we ought to have. Come to God's house. Come to my Father's house. The table is ready. Second thing I want to say is that you are valuable in God's house. Jesus told a parable about a shepherd that had a hundred sheep. And Jesus said, if one got away, 99 is okay. But there's one, he ain't okay, that he would leave the 99. He would risk that 99 that are healthy to go after the one that's in danger. He loved his sheep that much that he'd go pull a lamb out of a lion's mouth. I'm wearing a watch today. Let's imagine that I had a hundred of these. I don't, but let's pretend. If I lost this one, I wouldn't care too much because I got 99 others. And I can't wear 100 watches at one time anyways. But I've got to remind you, you are not a wristwatch. You are a child of God. I have three children. And if one wandered off at Publix and I didn't know where he was, I wouldn't say, where's my son? Oh, well... I have another one. (laughs) We would never do that. Because as parents, even if you had a hundred children, they are all precious, they are all priceless, they are all valuable to you. And I want to remind you today, you are a child of God. And if you weren't here today, he would leave the 99 to run you down. I think that's the lie of the enemy. That if I wasn't here, nobody would notice. It wouldn't matter much. I got to tell you, first of all, Jesus would notice. 
Luke 12 and 6, he said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head and all are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Jesus said you can get five sparrows for two pennies and not one of them fall without God noticing. You are of much more value than them. I want to show you a metaphor from the book of Corinthians. The Corinthian church Paul had planted and was ministering to and he was writing back to them. Many of them uh, were not of, of any sort of special birthright. They didn't have special citizenship uh, they were not privileged to be Roman citizens, which meant they did not have rights to things that other Romans had rights to. They weren't able to travel freely. They, they could be enslaved. They could be tacked. They didn't have certain protections under the law. There were a lot of things that they didn't have access to. They weren't highly educated. Many of them were servants or slaves or low-income jobs. And I, and I just happened to believe that maybe Paul was writing to people that felt like we don't have the same value as maybe the Roman church does. We don't have the same value as maybe people with more means or more opportunities. But Paul writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 12, verse 12, and he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with the body of Christ. The body has many parts. It has ears, it has eyes, it has a mouth, it has a nose, it has hands, a feet, feet, arm, legs, fingers, thumbs, elbows, knees, and toes. What was that song? <laughs> I forget. But all of these parts, it's not a body without all the parts. So it is with the body of Christ. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different personalities. We all have different giftings. We all have different testimonies. We all have different journeys. We all have different stories. But when we come together, we're the body of Christ. I want to tell you, you are valuable every time God's people gather together. And if you're not in, in there today, we'll get it, we'll make it, we'll make it. But we didn't have our big toe today. Like, right, we were limping a little bit. Uh, sometimes I'll text me, I'll say, man, I missed your worship on the front row with me. Like, it just wasn't the same. Just wasn't the same. I mean, we got through, it was fine. Somebody's baptized and the word went forth and was received with joy and people came to the altar and were praying. It was, it was okay, but we were limping. I didn't have the big toe. I didn't have that, woo, worship cry or whatever. But we didn't, we, didn't have, uh, we didn't have so-and-so in the band or we didn't have so-and-so in the booth. And it just, we, we got through, but we didn't have our elbow today. You ever gone through a day? It's like, man, my elbow is just not working right. That, that's what it's saying. Even so, the body is not made up. I'm in verse 14 again. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, 
where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Oftentimes, the enemy can convince us that we don't matter because I'm the foot. I'm the pinky toe. The toe is ugly. Feet are ugly. I don't know. And so if I'm not the hand, I'm not important. No. Without the foot, we ain't going nowhere. And so the ear might say to the eye, since I'm not like you, I'm not part Because the eye gets all the attention. The eye is what people look into. The eye gets all the attention. And somebody might say, you have beautiful eyes. I never heard anybody say, you have beautiful ears. (laughs) But if you didn't have ears, you wouldn't hear somebody say, you have beautiful eyes. And we're all in the family of God. And we all work together to be Jesus body here today. We are his hands. We are his feet. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. So if the arm falls asleep, we got to shake the arm up a little bit and say, hey, we need you. If the foot falls asleep, we got to shake it up a little bit and say, hey, we need you. And I just tell you today, think of what we can do united and together Because God created each of you uniquely to bring value and importance to God's house. And so you are his hands when you reach out to somebody in need. You are his feet when you walk into this house and serve God's people. You are his mouth when you speak love, grace, mercy, encouragement, and hope. And you are his heart when you forgive and you serve. So every time you serve, every time you reach, every time you give, every time you speak love, you might not think it matters, but I'll tell you, we are the body of Christ. Amen. Music come. I'm going to close today. I I thought of it this way. How much greater we are together. And we say that in life groups a lot, that we are better together. And I thought of it this way, that really God has brought us together to be able to do more than we could do on our own. I, I hear people say things like, well, I, I just need Jesus. And I say, I, I get the sentiment behind that, just almost like the old song, take the whole world, but just give me Jesus. Understand that. But I need everything that God told me I needed. And you don't have to get past the second chapter of this book. And God told Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. And the reason is, is because we need each other. Safety in the house of God. There's safety with each other. I said last week, it said the the proverb that said, Woe to the one that falls and there's nobody in proximity to pick him back up. And we're greater together. Next week, I want to talk to you a little bit about some vision for the house and some things that we can do together, where we can go, what we can do, what God can do in us and through us. But I just want to tell you, we are better together. And God has put this body together because you have something that I don't have. And they have something that neither of us have. And they have something that you and I don't have. But when we come together, we are the body of Christ. It's a powerful understanding. 
I thought of it this way. A single elephant is just an elephant. But when you get a bunch of elephants together and they're running through the safari and they're stomping through, kicking up dust, it's not an elephant. It's a herd. I thought about how a lion is just a lion. He's by himself. He's got a big roar. He's got a big mane. But when a group of lions get together, it's a pride. Sounds more powerful. A single cheetah is just a cheetah. But when a bunch of cheetahs get together, it's a coalition. A single camel is just a camel. But a group of camels traveling, they are a caravan. A vulture is just a vulture. But you get a group of vultures together and they're a committee. A wolf is just a wolf. But you get a group of wolves together and they're a pack. A herd a pride, a coalition, a caravan, a committee, and a pack sounds a lot greater than any one of those individual names. What's my point? Is that each animal has a name on its own, but when you get a group of animals together, they take on a new name and a new identity. Just as a single person, I might be a disciple, a Christian, a saint, but what do you call us when we gather together, empowered in unity, in one mind, in one accord, in one place, in one time, gathered together in the name of Jesus, when God's people come together, God called it the church and the body of Christ. We are better together. We are stronger together. Hell is afraid when God's people get together because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. I think if we had a zeal for God's house, we would want to bring people to that table and say, I want you to eat what I've ate. I want you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to have what I have. And I got it at this table in my father's house. I got it at this table in my master's house. I remember in John chapter 4, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, and she's a Sumerian woman, and Jesus begins to prophesy to her, even begins to tell her about kind of the things she's living in, changes her whole life, and immediately she leaves that well, and she goes into the town, and she says, you got to meet this man that just changed my life you got to experience this thing that just changed my life. i got to bring you to the place that my life was changed. Because if he changed my life, he can change your life. And I wonder if we'd get that in us today. I, I, when I do message series like this that are ecclesiastical in nature, I like to remind us that the church is plan A and he does not have a plan B. He died for the church. 
he passed the baton on to the disciples and said, go to this prayer room and don't leave until you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. The last verse in Matthew is that great commission. He says, go and teach folks what I taught you. Go baptize in my name. Go make disciples like I've made you disciples and, and, and go and make disciples now that you're a disciple. So that's God's plan and he does not have a backup plan. I said it to us on first Wednesday, but I'll say it again. He's not sending angels to to preach the gospel. He's sending us to preach the gospel. He's not sending angels to go and make disciples. He's sending us to go and make disciples. He's not sending angels to break bread and open the word of God. He's sending us to make bread, break bread and open the word of God. He's not sending angels to go and baptize in his name. He's sending us to go and baptize in his name. He's not anointing angels to preach the gospel to the poor. He anointed us to go and preach the gospel to the poor. He said to his servants, go and make sure my house is full and that table is full. You go into the world. You be my hands. You be my feet. I wonder if the Lord would just begin to put somebody on our hearts today. I wonder if every head bow, every eye close all over this house. And maybe just lift up your hands in this place and say, Lord, baptize me in that fire one more time. Give me a zeal for your house. Give me a zeal for souls. Give me a zeal for salvation. Give me a zeal for your will, your plan, your purpose, God. Give me a zeal to see people's life changed. Give me a zeal for to just see people saved and changed, Lord. Put that fire in my soul to to work for you and to let it be done. And I pray it all over this house. I wonder if we just take a moment. I'm going to open this altar. We're going to begin to worship. I wonder, just going to open this altar. I wonder how many would. And just have a moment with the Lord and say, Lord, baptize me in that fire. Baptize me in your spirit, God. Baptize me with a zeal, a passion, a fervor, a desire. Fill me up one more time. I'm opening this altar. Music team can begin to sing. Wherever you're at, just begin to lift your hands. Just begin to lift your voice. Your name is healing. Lord, we need you. Your name. Give me a fire, Lord. Give me a passion, Lord. Give me a desire, Lord. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Share this message with a friend. And don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.